winter is coming. You're listening to The Watchers of Westeros. I am the king! A Game of Thrones podcast. When you play the Game of Thrones, you win or you die. Fire cannot kill a dragon. Lion doesn't concern himself with the opinions of a sheep. I've also heard the phrase, a Lannister always pays his debt. For the night is dark and full of terror. What good is power if you cannot protect the ones you love? We can avenge them. Hello again, everybody. Welcome back to the Watchers of Westeros, a Game of Thrones podcast. We're back this week to discuss the seventh episode of season six. Seventh episode. I can't believe we're already this far into the season. It, it seems like just yesterday, Jon Snow was still dead. And, uh, well, actually, several other characters are, were still dead. Our fourth, fourth character this season has come back. Four characters. It's un- unheard of. Unbelievable. Could could they could they maybe make it a fifth? Could they maybe make it a fifth? I don't know. I don't know. Book readers, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, but we are here to discuss uh, the episode "The Broken Man." Uh, uh, like as I mentioned, the seventh episode of season six of Game of Thrones. Before we get into that, of course, introductions are in order. If you're new, to, if you're new to the show, or you've just forgotten who we are, that can happen. My name is Dominic, and joining me, as he always does, is my good friend and co-host, the award-winning Kieran Duggan. Hello again, Dominic, and welcome everyone to the newest edition of the Watchers of Westeros. And yeah, you mentioned it from the top. We're already on the seventh episode of season six. This season has flown by. I mean, Game of Thrones seems to have that habit of just. You know, you get so invested into the program for 10 weeks and it doesn't really feel like 10 weeks. It just flies by. Um, and this season has been no different from past seasons. And the stakes have really been raised now. Um, we talked about it off air, actually, about what, what is to come. And we won't talk about exactly what is to come. But we mentioned that the remaining episodes of this season are actually going to be the longest episodes of this season so we've still got a lot, lot more to come, even though there's only three episodes to go. But man, it has gone fast, hasn't it, Dominic? Oh yeah, I can't, I can't really believe it. But you know what? It's been a great season so far. Like you're hard pressed to find an episode that was a dud. I mean, all of these episodes have been really, really strong. Some are better than others, of course, but most of them have have been like on point. Even the ones that are. Uh, just kind of setting things up for the future have been really interesting. Uh, I think this I think this episode is a as a good case of that where you know not too too much happened, uh, but we were we got some really great character interaction and it does seem like all the pieces are being moved into place for uh, a really exciting uh, a really exciting finale that will be apparently. 69 minutes long. That is our longest finale and uh, the episode leading up to it which is reportedly titled Battle of the Bastards. Uh, <laughs> I wonder what that's yeah, going to be. Yeah, I wonder what's happening there. Um, it is the, well, well, it is the, uh, 
um, the ninth episode of an even numbered season. That's t- traditionally been when you get a big epic, uh, epic battle. Um, yeah, the battle. well, not necessarily. However, well, I do think there has been well, Blood I'm, Battle, I'm saying... Black Blackwater in season two, Castle Black season, in season three was not really no, a big but it's battle. but it's but it's in the even in the even numbered seasons. Se- oh, yes, season okay. two. That, that, that now you are hitting on the point. Yeah. And that is what you were saying, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah. That's yes. just my bad interpretation of what you said because I was literally about to then repeat the point that you have just made. Yeah. Yeah. Battle. Of, yeah. We had Battle of Blackwater season two. We had Castle Black season four. And uh, I guess Winterfell, probably. Battle yeah. of the Bastards, we'll call it for now. In uh, season Well, hopefully a better battle than the end of season five. <laughs> Which wasn't really a battle, in my yeah. opinion. It was more just a massacre. Yeah. The Winterfell 2, this time, it's personal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. it, it is. It is. I mean, you know, Stannis <laughs> taking Winterfell, that's, you know, that's in, it's, in, it's in the hands of a different family. Although Baratheon, better than um, Bolton any day. Um, but it's still not who you want to see in charge of Winterfell. You want to see a Stark or... Someone who is the descendant of a Stark in uh, in control there. Yes, very true. Uh, but let's let's just get into this episode and let's start right at the beginning because the beginning was different but awesome. Uh, we had a cold open, which is not something we usually get on Game of Thrones. It's happened once or twice before. I think it happened when they uh, melted down Ned's sword, and it happened when Cersei got that uh, when we had the flashback the Cersei flashback to her getting was that a cold open I feel like that was a cold open to get the um, last season when she got that vision on. of uh, I, I I can I can see that I do remember the the sword you're talking mm-hmm. about in the beginning of season four season five possibly yeah I'm not entirely I can't really remember but anyway as you say it's, it's very rare it's that very we rare. have a cold open yeah and so this one opens up and we see uh, these folks building, building. I guess they're building churches or, or septs. I guess is is what they're mm-hmm. doing, and uh, we see Ian McShane as as Ray uh, going around. And <laughs> I said Ray, and and I said Ian McShane as Ray, and then the first thing that popped into my head was Daisy Ridley from The Force Awakens. I'm like, nope, wrong Ray, wrong way. It's a Ray. It's an A, not an E. Uh, but we see uh, uh, Ian McShane as Ray. And that still seems so weird to say. Um, and and he's, uh, he's this kindly old fellow, and he's being nice to all the, all the people, which is, you know, a death sentence on Game of Thrones, which, as, you know, spoiler alert, that's what happens to him. Uh, and uh, we, we eventually see that among the people working on these sets is Sandor Clegane, a.k.a. the Hound, back from the dead. Well, I guess he never really died. But he, we thought he did. Uh, back, back from close to death. Back, yeah, back from near death. Uh, were you surprised by this uh, by this reveal? I was surprised by the manner of it, but not necessarily the fact that he's back. If that makes sense, I always sure. felt that, from based on what we talked about, that there was this big possibility of his return. Uh-huh. If you can remember back, I think it was to the fourth episode of this season when Ari was going through her trials in the House of Black, House of Black and White, and um, the Waif character was talking about um, Arya's past, about who's alive, who's dead, and the Hound was brought up again, and it was kind of an implication, you know, reminding the audience uh, as uh, that, that he may be back, he, that he may not be dead. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So that, so, so that, that event of him returning was not a surprise, but the manner of it, like you say, uh, the fact that we saw it at the beginning of an episode it, as, as a form, in a form of a cold open, because whenever that happens, I sometimes think to myself, oh, crap, have, have I missed something? <laughs> have I accidentally fast-forwarded into the episode or whatever? Yeah. But no, it was, it was a very effective way to do it. And from what I've seen in terms of reviews and reactions on social media – it was one of the most joyful moments yeah. in Game of Thrones period, you know. Um, so many people, from what I've seen on YouTube in particular, were jumping up and down, were, you know, pumping their fists in the air. And it was just a, a very different moment, <laughs> which is why it's not really then surprising that we come back to Earth at the end of the episode and that kind of joyous moment then becomes. Uh, shattered, let's put it that way, and we sort of go back to a traditional Game of Thrones episode. But at the beginning, at least, a reveal of the Hound, a surprise of the timing and the manner of it, but not necessarily a, the event. What about you? What was your initial thoughts uh, of the Hound's return and the yeah. fact that he's back mid? Well, towards the end of season towards six. The end of season, yeah, yeah. It was it was a good reveal. I, I like like you. I, I really enjoyed how they uh, they did it. Uh, you know, when I, it was, it was something that, yeah, I was kind of, uh, kind of expecting. And I, I, I may have, uh, peeked at some spoilers, uh, about, about what was to come. And, and so when, uh, when the camera, uh, panned to him and we saw who it was, there was kind of a feeling of, yes, yes, he's back. Yes. Uh, because you know, he, like, like he's like, um, McShane's character says to him, you know, he's got unfinished business. And, uh, you know, eventually, uh, I think a lot of people are hoping, hoping for what's, uh, what's known as Clegane Bowl, which would be a showdown between the Hound and the Mountain. And while it doesn't seem like we're heading there just yet, he's got to, to deal with some other, uh, some other folks first. That does seem like a, a really enticing uh, possibility, and it seems like a, an, exciting, uh, an exciting reason to bring the character back. Is is mm-hmm. to, to is to do that because there are a lot of characters in this story uh, who's um, who had beef with the mountain, and none of them have really gotten their uh, their revenge. And and I think the person who maybe has the most reason to hate uh, Gregor Clegane would be his brother Sandor Clegane. Um, Oberyn's pretty close <laughs> had a pretty pretty good reason too. Um, as the, as did um, Beric and Darian and, and the Brotherhood without banners. As we'll 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 get to them in a second and what's going on over there. Um, but you know, a lot of characters were out in search of Gregor Clegane, and and none of them, you know, Oberyn came close to taking him down. But since he's been taken out of the picture, the only other person who has a real beef with him uh, is is the Hound. And so to bring him back because. You, unfortunately, you can't really bring Oberyn back. Uh, it does feel like a good uh, uh, that would feel like a good solid conclusion to his arc for him to finally beat his older brother after you know all the horrible horrible things that his brother put him through absolutely and as you say it's a very appealing prospect and a very you know there's a big chance of it happening uh-huh. uh, now he has finally returned that was the missing piece really is that i've i like you have heard of these theories and um, the possibility of, of this storyline actually taking place, but until the Hound reappeared on screen, 
it seemed as though maybe they're just going to miss it or yeah. maybe they'll just do something a bit different. But now he has officially returned and the timing of his return towards the end of season six when you know next episode it looks like we're going to see some action from the mountain for the first time, it suddenly is becoming a bit more... Um, What's the word I'm looking for? It, it, it seems though it is going to happen, and I think that is incredibly exciting from the perspective of an audience. Uh-huh. Yeah, and and this is the Hound and and everything that goes on in in his storyline is very much separate from the rest of the episode. But there is a, a lot to unpack there with 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 what's going on, and what we learned uh, through this story, and. and Let's stick with uh, with new characters for a second, or, or new situations for a second, and and talk about uh, Ian McShane's character Ray Septon Ray. Um, I thought this was I thought he was just a great character. I, I really I really enjoyed uh, this this performance and this character, and I felt like he was a good uh, good shot in the arm for the show right now. Unfortunately, uh, fortunately, he couldn't make it through through the end of the episode. Uh, but what what did you think of of this character? I really enjoyed his, him as as a character, and I think that Ian McShane, as you say, played him very, very well. He was very interesting um, when he was on screen, and he he was communicating with the Hound or had those brief interactions. You sat there and you were attentive to it. At least mm. I was attentive to it. Maybe not everybody else was. <laughs> Maybe everybody else just wanted to know what was going on with the Hound. But I found him a fascinating character, and when he actually talked about his past. Um, you know the fact that when he when he grew up, he was he he felt he was a coward, somebody who really just wanted to kind of fit in with the crowd. And then there was the incident when he was growing up when he killed a young boy, and you know his mother was there and she was screaming, and that's what kind of was almost an epiphany moment, or it kind of changed him as a person completely. Mm-hmm. That was the kind of spark to that. Um, I thought, I thought it was, his backstory was interesting. I thought his interaction was really interesting, and I just thought he was, in spite of his history, a nice guy. Yeah, and you don't really get that many nice guys on Game uh-huh. of Thrones. And, and the other, um, the other thing about him is that he serves a, a wonderful contrast to the High Sparrow. Mm. Like they, these are two guys supposedly of the same faith, uh, and they're both out supposedly helping the poor. And they're just going about it in such, in ways that are both very similar, but also couldn't be more different. You know, you have the High Sparrow who is very much by the book, by the, the, you know, he takes the doctrine very, very literally. There is no doubt in his mind about um, the the truth, uh, the level of truth to his belief. You know, he... He's a, he's a he's a zealot. He he wants to impose his beliefs on everybody else, and you know there are some good aspects to that, like helping the poor and the hungry and and all that. But there are also a lot of uh, uh, not so great aspects to that as well. And uh, whereas with 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 uh, Septon Ray, you get this character who is committed to all of the good parts of the religion. But he's not he's not being bogged down by the bad stuff. You know, he even has that conversation with the hound about, you know, I, I don't know if it if it's if, if the gods are the seven, that could be any of these other uh religions that are out there. Mm. And, and and I thought that it was a really good contrast between these two uh two very different interpretations of supposedly the same religion. 
I think it was very noticeable as well with the way in which he spoke mm-hmm. and the words that he used. I mean, um, what perhaps in the world of Westeros and, and in our in our language today, you know, you construe as swear words. There was a lot of the use of you know, fuck, for example, when he was talking about the gods, and you think. You know, if you if the highest sparrow, if you were in the presence <laughs> of the highest sparrow, that would be seen as blasphemy. Yeah, be seen as a sin, and and he's freely just talking about it in that way, whilst at the same time acknowledging that we should still look to build this church and and, and look to uh, wrong, oh, sorry, to to rewrite and 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 get and uh, you know perform penance for the sins that we have committed. So there is that kind of acceptance of the existence of gods but the way in which he acknowledges it is far different to other pious characters that we've seen on the show like the lord of light for example Mm -hmm. i think that's a very appropriate perhaps uh, segue into some other characters that we see uh with the hound or interact with the hound yeah we got i got i got a question here what the fuck happened to the brotherhood without banners (laughs) They were supposed to be the good guys. They were supposed to, you know, I mean, they weren't, they weren't great guys, but they weren't this, mm. you know? They... Well, it, it, it's a difficult thing to say, and I'm sorry to interject there yeah. quickly. No, go but ahead. The, the, the people that we see who interact with uh, Ian McShane's character, Ray, and, um, and, and the crowd of people that are the community, yes, they are clearly members of the Brotherhood. There's no doubt about that, but... I think it's important to also be wary of saying, well, we don't know enough yet, in my opinion. Yeah. Are these three you know, just ambassadors of the, the Brotherhood Without Banners? Or do they represent what the Brotherhood of Banners has become? Or are they just rogue Brotherhood uh, members? We don't actually know a lot of the answers yet. And we still yeah. don't really know what happens when we come to the end. Yes, we can obviously imply that the, the, the Brotherhood acted out against these people because we obviously saw them in the episode but who um why what was their motives was it just for the food steal is that all they wanted or was it to just set an example or was it because they recognized the hound mm. and they did recognize the hound in my opinion because he kind of he kind of had that little glance and the camera kind of shot or the, the the camera panned from the the face of the brotherhood on the horses to the hound and then back so I imagine that they did see the Hound, but I'm with you. I don't really know exactly what's happened, and we haven't seen him since season three. But, you know, do you think then, Dominic, throwing the question to you, that the Brotherhood of Banners as a clan or as a, a, as a group has now suddenly become a lot more violent, has become a lot more corrupt? Um, and do you, do you think something's happened then to the hierarchy, you know? Uh, Beric Dondarrion, I think his name was. Yep. Um, is he still around? What do you think? What's happened? Yeah, well, that's that's the question, right? Because the last time we saw the Brotherhood, they were it was during the war. It was during the War of the Five Kings, and they were fighting against the Lannisters. They weren't fighting for anybody necessarily, but they were fighting against the Lannisters. And now the war is more or less over, depending on who you ask. Um, we'll get to, we'll get to the blackfish in just a second. Um, but the, the war is more or less over. So what happens to them now? What do they do? Do they keep up the fight? Uh, or do they kind of devolve into something else? Because once the, the battles are, are over and there aren't 
you know, constantly Lannister troops on the move, it becomes a lot harder for a, a guerrilla force like the Brotherhood to attack and, and cause trouble for the Lannisters. It, it, they have to, they, they can't really do that anymore because most of the Lannister army is hanging out in Casterly Rock or Lannisport or King's Landing. They're not out uh, patrolling the countryside. And so, it, you know, they can't really steal from the Lannisters anymore. They can't defeat the Lannisters. So they, they probably did devolve to a certain extent. And we know that you know, not just they weren't just, uh, you know, former knights and, and that sort of thing. There were some former peasants and, you know, they weren't necessarily all held to the same uh, moral code that, that maybe Beric Dondarrion did. And, mm. and, and so if, you, you know, we, we know from the Night's Watch and, you know, some of the, the mutineers over there when they turned against not only when they turned turned against John, but when they turned against uh uh, Lord Commander Mormont, uh, that 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 you can't always trust people in, in these situations where you have kind of a rogue group, and so once once the once the war is over, they became they probably became thieves, and so the question is, is Beric Dondarrion going along with this, or has he been removed from power? Mm. And also, where 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 how does uh, Thoros of Mir play into all of this? I believe. The, the, the actor who plays Thoros has said he's back this season. So we'll probably see him in the next three episodes, hopefully. Um, and, uh, and, uh, and so, yeah, so I, I feel like, you know, they've pretty much fallen apart and, and are just, you know, there was no reason to, to rob these people. They, you know, they, they're, they just did it because. Well, I mean, when you looked at them, particularly in terms of appearance and, and the attire that they were wearing, when the the horse riders first, uh, you know, rode up the hill to to, to interact with um, to interact with Ray, I didn't think they were the Brotherhood without banners. Uh-huh. They more, they looked more like lords, yeah, or, or or at least upper class members of society, and that's not necessarily something that I associated with the. Brotherhood without banners. I associated them as being more, um, almost members of, of Robin Hood's army. You know, <laughs> it was kind of that type of medieval uh, steal from the rich, give to the poor. You know, in a, in a sort of way, although not as perhaps nice as that, because they they kept a lot of money for themselves as well. But they didn't seem to be as violent as. Um, as just wicked, really, and 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 really evil, as as this episode portrayed them. Mm-hmm. So it goes to show that there has been an evolution in terms of the nature of the Brotherhood without banners. But as you say, it, it remains to be seen how far this actually goes, and and why they really did this. Because they asked and said, "Oh, food, steel, etc." Um, I know. Ian McShane's character said that they didn't have these things, but the hounds quite rightly said, no, you do have these things. Um, <laughs> they will they will just come and take it. But it, it does make you wonder why them in particular. And where are the Brotherhood of Banners about situated? The last time we heard about them was, uh, I think, in the last episode, actually, with Walder Frey, uh-huh. when they were ta- talking about what was going on in the... Yeah, um, they are, they are still, a, uh, you know, they are still attacking... Uh, he, you know they are they are still uh, fighting against the phrase. Um, yeah, 
And so you, they you have must to wonder, be near River Run. Yeah, yeah, they are. They are. So maybe maybe they're supporting in some way. Maybe they are supporting officially or unofficially. Maybe they're supporting the Blackfish. Mm. And the issue as well is if they did recognize the Hound, although it seems, however, very unlikely because they didn't actually look for the Hound, but, you know, the Hound could be still perceived as that kind of Lannister acolyte mm-hmm. um, in spite of everything that's gone on, you know, um, and they look at him as an enemy. Yeah. So you wonder how much uh, his presence at, at, at this particular camp kind of played into the fact that the Brotherhood of Outbanners then massacred the village. Yeah. We just don't know, really. There's not enough information yet. But as you say, I think it was quite shocking and surprising. Yeah, and it, and it's something that hopefully will be uh, will be dealt with in the next few weeks. I mean, there's only there's only three more episodes this season, so they better they better deal with it. Uh, but let's talk about what goes down in uh, in River Run. Uh, we see uh, we have the return of Braun this week uh, as he and, and Jamie arrive with the Lannister army. Uh, so, uh, some really uh, some really funny moments. Uh, the best best line in the episode has to go to Braun when when Jamie starts saying the the old Lannister saying a Lannister always pays his debts and Braun cuts him off. Don't say it. Don't fucking say it. <laughs> that, was, uh, that was a great moment. And then we see the uh, the the uh, the Frey boys. Um, trying to, uh, you know, they're threatening, threatening Edmure, uh, while to to try and uh, suss out the Blackfish, and that doesn't really work. Um, oh, can I just say, although Bron got the best line, I feel like Black Blackfish in this episode wasn't far off, and yeah. that line when they're trying to threaten uh, the phrase, the phrase of threatening uh, Blackfish with the you know the the life of Lord Edmure in his hands. And he was like, yield the castle or I'll cut his throat. And Blackfish was just like, go on then, cut his throat. And then just walked off. Yeah. I was like, yes. Yeah. You can tell those phrases. You know what? I think everyone was saying the same thing. Like, yeah, we don't really care about Edmir Tully either. <laughs> <laughs> I hate to say it, but I don't really care. Yeah, yeah. No, he hasn't spoken yet this season. He's just kind of been there. Just yeah. kind of being there, being silent. Well, he's getting a nice bath now, so it's not all bad. Yeah, yeah. That, that was interesting, though. We, we see Jamie... Uh, and he does seem to be very different from the Jamie we saw in the last war. You know, he does seem a little bit like maybe his own experience being a prisoner has uh, has affected him some way because, you know, he didn't really have the best um, situation when he was uh, the Stark, when he was Rob Stark's prisoner. Uh, he looked pretty awful. He looked worse than uh, than Edmure Tully here. And so he's telling them, you know, give him a bath, feed him, you know, like let him, let him, uh, you know, don't just treat him awfully, treat him better than this. Which is what Roose Bolton did with Jamie Lannister. Yeah. Ironically enough, it was Roose Bolton of all people. Um, (laughs) And and, and so we get get that. And and then we get this this scene between him and the Blackfish. And I I loved it when they addressed each other as, you know, Kingslayer, Blackfish. That was a pretty uh, that was a pretty good scene where he basically tries to convince um, tries to convince the Blackfish into saying, you know, look, why are you still fighting for this? The war is over. Um, You know, you lost move on let's not waste any more lives and there was a sincerity to this uh to jamie's requests i think that i cannot imagine season one jamie lannister's uh having you know Mm. and obviously the blackfish turns it turns him down 
But there is kind of this sense that, you know, Jamie's willing to fight, but maybe he's a little bit tired of it. Yeah, I don't blame him, to be honest. I don't think Jamie really wants to be there. Although he wants to obviously be at the head of the Lannister army and, and show himself to his men as being this kind of general, which is kind of a new position that Jamie has now taken up. He's never really been well, he was, the leader kind of. of the Lannister army. Well, the, yeah, that was Tywin, yeah. But he Tywin was still was in the a, leader. But he was still in a, a very significant position when he was captured. Agreed, yeah. but he wasn't the head. That's true. Lannister, he is now the head of the Lannister army, and you have to take on a certain responsibility that he didn't necessarily have. You know, if things were tough, he could just go to his father and gather some reinforcements. Don't get me wrong, he had a significant role to play, but, you know, season one, also playing that general role, he got captured. So he's got a lot now to kind of show to people to be like, no, yes, I got captured, yes, I got my arm chopped off, and Yes, okay, Tywin's not here, but I can take on that mantle. Yeah. So he has got to show himself in that way. Mm-hmm. And he, in, in a way, this kind of reminded me of a tactic that perhaps someone like Tyrion would employ, you know? Perhaps try and treaty with someone and look to negotiate and compromise rather than just go out or uh, just go in for all out war. But. Yeah. But I, I think this shows what this shows was is, is the journey that this character has, has been yes. on from you know, who we, who he was in season one and just all the experiences he had being the Starks prisoner, getting his hand chopped off his adventures with Brienne, um, his time with Tyrion before Tyrion escaped, um, losing Tywin, losing Marcella, you know, all of these things, even, you know, when he, he, you know, bared his soul to Brienne about what happened when he, uh, you know, killed the Mad King and, and, and everything that went with that. You know, I feel like, you know, that, that moment where he killed the, the Mad King, that was a, a moment of, of heroism from him. And then everything after that, he kind of put on a persona that of, you know, the overconfident hero. And it was only in the last few uh, few seasons here that, that he's kind of begin to begun to shed that persona as he's gotten older and gone through these horrific experiences like being a being a prisoner of war losing a hand uh losing a child um and not to mention everything that went down with Tyrion and tywin so it's uh it's it's been it's i feel like this is an interesting culmination and it's going to be very interesting to see where it goes next and when we get to the when we talk about the preview that's one of the the focal points of the preview is is what's going on with jamie Absolutely, and be interested to see what happens next because when we get on to the preview section, there's a lot of more questions left unanswered. But I'll throw the question to you, Dominic. We've looked at Jamie here. What about the Blackfish? Because obviously this is the first episode that we've seen of him since the Red Wedding. Yeah. So nearly three seasons ago now. <laughs> it's been a while, but, I mean, number one, did you enjoy his return? Oh, yeah. But also, what did you make of his discussion with Jamie Lannister or, or even not just the fact that he criticized Jamie Lannister but the fact that the way in which he you know he, he kind of validated his own claim you know he made it to be, seem credible that the Blackfish should stay in Riveron you know the fact he was born there and things like that what did you make of his argument uh-huh. well I, I think what it showed was you know there was I, th- I feel like there was a feeling from the Lannisters that like, you know, once they won this war, 
they didn't they, they then things would just go back to being normal and i think that's where people like varus and 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 cersei and, and and that sort of thing i think that's where they underestimated robert baratheon and his even though he was a drunk and a fool and a, and, and a, you know in many many ways not a good king at all you know uh, you know varus calls him a disaster but we we see now he was able to keep this very tentative peace among people who don't like each other very much and so as soon as he's gone as soon as he's gone that's when everything goes crazy and we've de- we've been through a war uh that has had all these little offshoots as well um you know we had the, the main war between the lannisters and the starks but we've had all these these different offshoots with uh stannis and and uh, and the Greyjoys and and everything that's coming up with the with the boltons there's there's been all these repercussions of this war that you know the war was supposed to end everything i was supposed to end the conflict end the strife but it's still going on you know stannis kept fighting balon Greyjoy kept fighting to an extent um and here we have the blackfish he's not just going to give up the war is not over for him as he says and so it really shows in a way shows just how um how good a king Robert Baratheon was, believe it or not. Yeah, I can see that. It's something that you never really think about, as you said, because most people just perceive him as, as a drunkard. Um, uh-huh. But as you said, he was uh, he was a whole tentative piece. Although having said that, I would say that Tywin was relatively successful at that as well. Mm. I feel like Tywin's death was certainly a catalyst for a lot of what's going on. Granted, you know, the Red Wedding happened before Tywin really consolidated his position, but um, he was able to kind of keep a relatively tentative peace as well. Once he died, then it really went down the pan. Um, but yeah, I agree with you. You know, the return of Blackfish, I think, is is an important signifier of where we are now in terms of the storyline. Um, and it kind of shows that his logic... Uh, the fact that he believes the war isn't over, it, 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 I think it serves as a reminder to everybody that the way in which the world of Westeros is perceived by these different you know, kind of groups and houses is extremely different from one another. And from my perspective as an audience member, I would say Blackfish has the credible claim on Riverrun. However, if you're looking at the politics of the time... The phrase have the greater claim, yeah. and yet the Lannisters then side with the phrase, even though the phrase just look they're awful absolutely. People. <laughs> yeah, I mean they're awful people, and they clearly don't know what the hell they're doing. I mean, when they walked up to that camp, and <laughs> Jamie was like, "You haven't even got a perimeter to notice that there were eight thousand men marching on into your camp." Yeah, but anyway, you know, I'm looking at the Blackfish and think he's got the credible claim. He he is right in a way, and at the moment, I would look at him as almost being representative of the um, resurgence of of the Starks as much as I would look at John and Sansa at this point. You know, because yeah. he's actually an experienced warrior. He's actually got a great deal of support from his own house compared to what's going on in the North at the moment. Yeah, but it'd be interesting to see either way. He's going to play, I think, a crucial role in what go- in what happens at Winterfell. It's going to be very interesting next week or in the weeks to come when Brienne 
actually arrives and presents him with Sansa's letter. Because mm. that will, I think, perhaps determine the fate of uh, of, a, of a lot of a lot of different people and what his rationale for accept or for uh, responding for, for, for responding to her request for help, whether by ignoring it or by going and helping her. I think that's going to to show us a lot about who he really is and what he really wants out of all of this. Yeah, I agree. All right, let's move on to the north, where uh, John and Sansa are on their uh, their little journey around around the around the north to uh, try and recruit some of the houses. So uh, first, they go to the Wildlings, and this this was a fun uh, a fun scene to see uh, Tormund. It's really I really like having a uh, Tormund on uh, on John's side. I, that's another that's been another character who it's it's been really uh, it's been really interesting to watch his story progress. Uh, and how he's, you know, become kind of a, a somebody who's really fighting for a peace between uh, the wildlings and uh, the people of the south. You know, I I feel like I, I've really enjoyed his uh, his characterization. Uh, but they they get the wildlings, uh, then they go to uh, the Boltons that or not the Boltons uh, the the Mormonts where. Um, <laughs> Lady uh, Lady Liana Mormont, uh, who is apparently everybody's new favorite character, and with good reason, uh, because that was a, a very very fun scene uh, with uh, John and Sansa and Davos, basically convincing this ten year old girl to send to send all of her troops, uh, which total about 62, <laughs> 62 men, which was a a great scene. Uh, and then we see the uh, House Glover, who. Uh, doesn't actually really hold that high a view of the Starks anymore. He he mm. he only lets John and Sansa in and listens to them because he respected Ned, but he fe- felt so betrayed by Rob that he wants nothing to do with the Starks anymore. Yeah, that was really interesting actually because it's perhaps a perspective that as audience members we never really considered. You know, the ramifications of Rob's war on the North itself, not just in terms of what happens with, um, you know, the Iron Island invasion and, you know, uh, you know, and the Boltons taking over the politics, but more the perception from the North's perspective of the Starks. As you say, the Starks have gone down under people's estimations. And at the moment, when you're looking at the... John and Sansa, who were trying to recruit these clans or houses to to their cause or rally them, it's it's looking like a bit of a kind of mi- mishmash of people here. It's you've got John who is a bastard, and you've got Sansa who, to some people, is considered no longer a Stark, but either a Lannister or a Bolton because she's married into these houses. Yep, um, and then. You've got the fact that the that Rob going on, embarking on this war, he dishonoured the house and the north because he married someone who was foreign, and he in a and way lost the war allowed he he allowed the political situation to kind of emerge where the Iron Islanders took over places in the north and the Boltons took over places in the north. Was that a, was that a bit of a surprise to you? The way in which now, Rob, as a result, has kind of 
hampered and hurt and damaged the perception of the Starks. Yeah, it, it's, uh, it, you know, we tend to look at these characters, you know, through the lens of, of people who have seen, who were, who were there for all of these crucial moments in their lives. And we forget that, you know, not everybody was there to witness this. We, not everybody was on Rob's side and not everybody understood what he was trying to do and, and why he felt he could, why he could felt he could trust Theon and, and, and why he, uh, you know, went, he, he made the decision to, to, to not marry the Frey girl. You know, there was all of, all of this stuff that, you know, if he had won the war, I think nobody would care about, but because he lost the war, all of these, uh, all of these little failures of his, um, add up and and so we we get this situation where we have a less positive view of the starks and i think this will would sure would serve as a wake-up call or should serve as a wake-up call to john and sansa that you know maybe the stark name doesn't carry as much as it used to you know maybe they're going to have to re-earn the trust of these people and, and that's something that that those two are going to have to deal with. And if if Bran and Rickon and, and Arya ever show up again, that's something they'll have to deal with as well. And uh, you know how they go about doing that. You know, obviously, uh, liberating Winterfell would be a good good place to start. Um, also, that ice zombie army that's coming for them, defeating them, that'd be another uh, that'd be another solid building block. Uh, but it, it's a that's it, that's going to be a tough road to rebuild those bridges that. Rob inadvertently burned down and it's, you know, it's the old thing, you know, the, the path to hell or the road to hell is paved with good intentions. You know, Rob was trying to do all the right things and he wound up getting himself killed and, and, and losing this war and making things worse, worse for all the people around him, not better. Mm. I mean, putting yourself, Dominic, in the, in the shoes of, of a, of a northerner, <laughs> in Westeros, in a northern household, if John and Sansa and Sir Davos had come knocking on your door, let's try and break away from the fact that we know those characters and we may like those characters, but if they came knocking on your door and said that they've got an army of 2,000 wildlings, um, a few hundred northerners, um, and they want you to support them in their attempts to retake Winterfell after hearing everything that's gone on with Ned and Rob, you know, would you really side with them, yeah, or would you I mean, stick no. with your with, with the Boltons? Yeah, you know, it's it's a situation. I think the other thing that has to be factored in is, and if this is kind of what we were talking about with Jamie, is that they've already been through a war. They've already they've already lived through the the War of the Five Kings. They don't want to go back to war necessarily, um, unless it's something that they believe strongly in and it's a fight they can they think they can win. You know, they, they're not necessarily ready to go back to war. And, uh, you know, as we learn from the Glovers, you know, that's not something this isn't a fight that they believe in because Rob lost their trust. And so John and Sansa, you know, what little goodwill they have left over from Ned, they're, they're using it up just by getting an audience with this guy. He doesn't have much goodwill for the Starks and, and, and neither, I'm sure, do a, a lot of Northerners who lost a uh, lot of a lot of people, family, friends, uh, whoever, to uh, to this uh, uh, this war of Robs that ended in catastrophe. Yeah, catastrophe is certainly the right words 
to to label it really. And I'm with you. I, I find I, if I was in those shoes, I think I would find it very difficult to accept their proposal. Uh, very difficult for them to now trust the Starks, um, and as you say, have faith. faith that they're going to succeed in this endeavour. But one way or another, and I think we've both kind of touched on this, war is going to determine whether these houses align with John and Sansa, even though, as you said, they don't really want to go to war. But if John and Sansa can defeat Ramsay and expel the Boltons from Winterfell, then I believe the North will rally to their cause. Mm -hmm. But, of course, there is... Another factor to consider, which I guess is the final point to talk about in the North, and that is, you know, a little finger <laughs> may may have some play in this. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, the, the the you know, John wants to wants to just march on Winterfell. John kind of re, re following in Stannis's footsteps. Well, is he or isn't he? Well, okay, yeah. he didn't burn any children alive. <laughs> I mean, okay, <laughs> he did hang Ollie though, so. Yeah. You know, Although I haven't said that, it would be quite funny that you you mentioned that because their their camp is in exactly the same place that Stannis's camp yeah, was. They kind of, that's that's when you know the show is like, gee, gee, we've we've spent all our money on the next three episodes, so we just need to reuse some sets this week. <laughs> <laughs> but at, at the same time, I can kind of see them also learning the lessons in a way of what happened with Stannis. They got bogged down in the snow. Um, and John is saying to them and his entourage, no, we need to do this now before the snow hits. Uh-huh. Perhaps that's a wiser lesson, at least, that John's trying to, to you know, in terms of his argument for why they should attack sooner rather than later. Yeah, yeah, that's um, true. That's true. Now, actually, be, uh, I, want, well, I want to come back to John and Sansa in, in just a second. But being in this location where Stannis's camp was last season... Mm-hmm. Where a certain child was burned alive at the stake, mm. and we are back there with a character who had a, a very close relationship with that child and doesn't actually know her fate, mm. or necessarily, maybe not the specifics of her fate. That's kind of something that's been dropped this season. Is you know we had a brief conversation about it early in the season when, when uh, Brienne was there and we had a little sort of this odd uh, standoff between Davos, uh, Melisandre, and Brienne. But he never found out the truth. And being back at this location, do you think maybe he's going to find some evidence of what happened? Is he going to learn the truth? Because he has to learn the truth sooner or later. And Melisandre, yes, we all love her because she brought back Jon Snow. She still has to answer for burning a eight-year-old girl at the stake yeah i mean another question to ask yourself is where is melisandre yeah what, what's she doing now is she still at castle black is she helping out ed she's just <laughs> she's giving ed you know helpful advice <laughs> well that would not be a bad idea yeah i mean true. it'd be very boring but no, we saw her leave with the entourage yeah. in uh at Castle Black. So where is she? What is she doing? And that is a that is a valid point, you know. What it what is seeing this child going to do to Melisandre? That's a point that I never really thought about, to be honest. And it's actually quite an interesting one because, as you say, the location, the child, the lady child, that's going to bring back feelings and echoes of what happened there a season ago. Um, 
And perhaps, as you say, Davos will really find out. And if he does find out, uh, what does that mean for his character? Um, Where does his journey progress to? And Mm -hmm. what does this mean for his relationship, not just with Melisandre, but the whole cause that he's, he's fighting for? Interesting to see what happens there. But, yeah, well, um, and that and that could be a, a source of, uh, of of division between John and Davos. You know, John owes Melisandre his life, quite literally. Um, but like I said, she burned Shireen at the stake, and, and so you know she has to answer for that crime. But can John be the one to punish her for that, even after she resurrected him? Mm, I may need her still in case he gets yeah. stabbed again. <laughs> yeah, this, this could be a this could be an ongoing thing for uh, for Johnson. Yeah, so we got the division between the potential division between uh, John and Davos, but we've got this other uh, potential division between uh, John and Sansa uh, because Sansa she sends that letter, presumably the little finger, and I've, I've actually seen some people have transcribed what the letter actually says and it, yeah it's it's to Littlefinger no, to nobody's shock so when the knights of the knights of the veil vale show up with peter baelish at their head um you know sansa's gonna have some explaining to do and yeah you know, she's gonna have to explain why she didn't just tell john that she has this you know uh ace ace up her sleeve mm. well it'll be interesting to find out exactly when, how how yeah. how this is uncovered? You know how how uh, and and when Peter Baelish is going to intervene? You know because I think timing will be as crucial as anything. You know if it's in the middle of the battle and Peter Baelish arrives with the Knights of the Vale, I don't think any questions are going to be asked. They will just be like, "Get in there!" You know yeah. <laughs> we need we need help now. But if he arrives before any battle commences, then questions will be asked. Um, and he'd be interested to see whether that becomes a source of tension between John and Sansa. Be interesting enough to find out because, you know, this source of tension, I think, is intriguing. When we also consider that Littlefinger in the fifth episode of this season talked about the fact that, you know, or reminded Sansa that John is the half-brother. You know, is there almost going to be a kind of co- competition for who actually becomes the ruler of the North? We don't really know, but these are some questions that we can certainly ask. And, of course, one of the clips that we see in the season trailer is, of course, Lord Baelish in the snow. So he certainly will be going to the north. But, you know, some sort of figure kind of emerges and he, and he looks like he, he, he's going to converse with them. Who is that? You know, um, because I, I'd, I'd, I would be almost shocked if Peter Baelish would himself be actively involved in this war. When I say that, I mean, I don't see him riding out on the front lines. Um, yeah. Rather, perhaps, watching from afar, if that makes sense. For sure, for sure. Yeah, it will, it will be interesting to see, and, and maybe, we'll get our, maybe we'll get our answer next week. Uh, although, yeah, I, I mean, maybe that, maybe that will be the big sort of preview for the, for the battle ne- in next week's episode will be yeah. them, uh, them meeting up. Uh, let's uh, let's move on from there. Let's talk about what goes down. Well, let's let before we go to King's Landing, let's briefly touch on uh, Volantis, where we see uh, Theon and Yara, uh, where they've taken a a, a break, and uh, Theon, you know, having to deal with the fact that he is, you know, he's he's very much uncomfortable in this situation. He's not 
he's not the old Theon that we uh, that we knew and tolerated <laughs> for the first <laughs> for the first season a bit. Uh, it was a. Uh, uh, it was a uh, it, it, it was a it was an interesting scene to to watch uh, her try and try and reach him, and she does that by getting him to uh, chug a pint of ale. Uh, what what did you make of th- make of this scene? Um, I I didn't mind the scene. I just felt it was almost a bit out of place. Yeah. of this episode. Do you know what I mean? It sort of came out of nowhere, and I saw the preview for this episode last week, and it seemed like, oh, this storyline could be exciting. I thought there'd be more to it, but I guess the purpose of this scene really was just to kind of get Theon back on his feet and show that Yara was really just giving him tough love Mm -hmm. at this point, but showing still her support to her brother, which I think is an important thing because that's really what helped Theon, in my mind, come back properly you know in terms of a, a, a psychological state after their talk in the, in this episode i think that theon isn't fully fully back but he's i think he, he's more focused and he's a lot less you know what i want to say a lot less cowardly or um and a lot less sorrowful about everything you know and yeah. it was tough love she said you know you got to drink that ale if you don't want to be in this world just cut you get a knife Cut open your wrists and be done with it. <laughs> Tough yeah. love is that. And the, one of the best parts was when she was like, listen, I know you've had a few tough years. And he was like, bad years or like tough years. <laughs> As though it was just some like mundane thing that he's gone through, like a bad breakup. Yeah. Um, so I, d- I did feel for him. But actually, I really enjoy Yara's character. And I think that she did the right thing. You know, it's the way that these people, the, 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 the Iron Islanders work. Um Tough love, just drink through it, or you know, if you don't want to be a part of this world, just end it. But I want you here. It's man up in a way. Mm-hmm. We want we, we want the old Fion back. Now, audience members may not want the old Fion back, but I do see where she's coming from. She wants that confident, assured, and perhaps a bit cop more cocky as an individual. She wants the old Fion back. Um, do you think after watching this? Do you agree with my interpretation that you think Fion is sort of back he's on, on a psychological level? He's on the way. I, I think yeah. this all this season he's been kind of on the way. I don't know if he'll ever go back to uh, who he was before. I don't think he should ever go back to who he was before. No, I agree. Um, but I, I do think that we are seeing him take some more steps gaining, to gain some more confidence. But yeah, this this did seem kind of kind of kind of out of place in the in in this episode it, it's weird this season for as much um forward progression as we've gotten in a lot of the the big storylines uh revisiting some of the ones that were kind of left uh, off the table for a while and, and some of the ones that we, we we spent a lot of time with like aria and we'll we'll get to aria in a few minutes um it does kind of seem a little bit weird that like these these episodes or these moments, it, 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 well, while there's so much forward progression in, in some of these storylines, other other of the other ones seem really held back. Like they're not, they're not at the same point. Like they 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 haven't, they aren't dramatically or thematically, um, at the same point in the arc. Whereas you know, with 
with the 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 North stuff and the and the King's Landing stuff and and the Danny stuff, they, that all seems to be roughly at the same point in, in its arc at this mm. at this moment. Whereas this kind of feels like it's it's kind of held back. Arya feels like it's she's still a little bit behind. Although we'll see how things go next week. Uh, that could really shake it up. Um, even well, actually, Bran I feel like is in a, is in is in the right place. But some of these things do feel a little bit. Sam, Sam and Gilly, that's another instance where it feels like just totally different. Uh, and, and that's been, uh, you know, interesting this season where we've had so much forward progression that some of these stories feel like they're kind of lagging behind in, in what's going on. Yeah. I mean, I have to say, I feel like at the moment, the Iron Island story has, uh, has great potential as a storyline, but I think it's probably been the most poorly executed of this season. And I'm not saying that the season has had bad storylines in that regard, but I just feel like, you know, the, the Iron Island storyline has been, as you say, a catch-up session, really. Yeah. It's almost like fast-forwarding on your television screen <laughs> when you want to fast-forward to a good bit of, of, <laughs> of the movie. I feel like that's sort of what we're doing here. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a good that's a good way of putting it. That's a good way of putting it. Anyway, so let's move on to uh, to King's Landing and and what's going on here. And uh, well, we see we learn uh, that Marjorie is in fact just playing play acting as a uh, as the the good little uh, good little girl, good little religious girl uh, there. Um, and but we also get a great scene between uh, Cersei. And Lady Olena, which was fantastic, uh, really, really great performances. Actually, really great performances all around in King's Landing. And and uh, uh, Natalie Dormer as Marjorie had a really. There was a really great moment, and it was such a small moment, but it was so. Uh, it, it elevated her performance that much more uh, when she's talking to the High Sparrow. Um, you know, she's she's playing the part. She's playing the part of, you know, having fully converted and believing in everything that she's saying and, and what she's doing. Um, and then he says something. And I think it's when um, when he's talking about why she her and her and Tom and haven't uh, begun making babies yet. Uh, and he he says something to her. And there's just like the slightest moment, slightest look of shock on her face for just like half a second. And it goes away. And it's just enough to make you question if she actually, if, if you saw what you think you saw and if she's actually, um, whether or not she's actually playing, uh, actually following the High Sparrow, whether she is really uh, believes what she's saying. And then, of course, later on in the episode when she gives her grandmother the drawing of the rose, it confirms that, yeah, she is play acting. And that, that moment of shock was almost, was the High Sparrow almost breaking through this character that she's uh she's put on but uh, what did you make of uh of the marjorie scenes in uh in this episode yeah i thought they were fantastic and king's landing is, is starting to finally ramp up to hopefully a, uh, an interesting conclusion for this season um the marjorie stuff is is becoming quite interesting and particularly the interaction between her and her mother um, the High Sparrow stuff was quite interesting in a way to kind of look at his motives. It was one of the first times that we really get to see what his plan is. I think some people's uh, qualms with the storyline in King's Landing is based around the fact that they don't really know what the end game is for any of these characters. You know, there's still a lot of mystery that's surrounding the motivations of the High Sparrow. Yes, we sort of know that he wants to 
be one of the most powerful members in King's Landing, if not the power centre. But, you know, how is he going to get there? And, again, what was Marjorie's play? So I think this episode was very good at uh, helping unearth the the reasons behind Marjorie's play acting, or at least, you know, telling the audience that she is play acting. And that's an important distinction to make. You know, she's come comes across as being authentic and genuine. Interestingly, the irony of when she says, oh, I used to... Uh, I only pretended to care for the poor the same way that she's only pretending to care for the religion of the High Sparrow. Um, but what did you make of the Elena and Marjorie scene in particular, Dominic? I mean, well, I, I loved but particularly with the sept in the background as well. Yeah. I mean, Elena was having none of it, was she? Yeah, well, I, I loved that, that you have, uh, was it Septa, Septa Unella, uh, the shame nun, just standing there. <laughs> And I love that Marjorie's like, she's been one of my best friends. <laughs> I thought that was hysterical. I thought that was great. But I, I loved I loved the the sequences. I, I you know, it was clear that uh Olena didn't buy uh any of this. That, you know, she knew her granddaughter well enough that that this was not uh this was not her her new thing at all. She wasn't she didn't buy into this. And I thought the you know, the drawing of the of the rose was a was a good way of conveying that. Uh, mm. You know, I, I maybe would have liked to have seen something, an actual note or, you know, something else, something else that hints at what she actually has planned. But, uh, you know, the rose was enough for Olena to, to say, okay, she's, she's got this under control. Um, I can back out now. So I guess that should be enough for me as well. Yeah. Well, also, what do you think based on their conversation about the fate of Solaris? Um, yeah. There was a well, kind of yeah. the conversation about the fact that um, mer- the mother's mercy would mean that he could live, <laughs> but he would have to renounce his title. Mm-hmm. You know, what do you really think is going to be the fate of Loras? Because I don't really buy it that they're just yeah. going to let him go, no. even if it means that he would have to give up his title and be a so-called free man. Yeah, no, she, she's not. She, yeah, yeah, the 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 the, the sparrows aren't just going to let him go. But she's also not going to let him, uh, let them just keep him. So th- that's where the, this clash is, is headed. And perhaps this, this little act of hers is to try and gain enough favor with the High Sparrow that he would put her in a position of having a say in Loris's fate. And that is where she could, you know, reveal her true intentions in, in one way mm-hmm. or another. That would be interesting. Yeah, um, and I guess another interesting point to note then is not just Elena's discussion with Marjorie, but also Cersei. Um, that was quite an interesting scene, wasn't it, Dominic? Oh yeah, that that was a that, it was really good to see these two characters interact, and you see how much more how how Olena just dominates over Cersei, even just sitting there with well Cersei. Cersei's there with the mountain, you know, she's just sitting there just writing letters. She she doesn't even want to give Cersei the time of day. I loved the uh I loved her line about I'm not sure if if, if you're the worst person I've ever met. You know, I, I thought that, thought all that was very, very good. Uh but I was reminded when we were playing the intro at the beginning of the show, you know, there's that Cersei line about, you know, when you play the game of thrones, you win or you die. She's she's really um going all in here. You know, she you know, she's she's committed to playing the game and, and for her, that means she has to stay in King's Landing to either, 
uh, get her son back, quote unquote, or end her life. Mm. It's interesting, isn't it, to look at the different approaches now taken by, uh, you know, kind of the two lead female characters in, in, in King's Landing who <laughs> isn't caught by the Septon, at least, or the High Sparrow. You know, you've got Cersei and you've got Elena. Um, Elena's just now going to leave, uh, kind of because of, 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 of Marjorie's words. Um, and, you know, Elena, for the first time in a way, kind of gives away the fact that she's afraid a little bit of, of, of what the High Sparrow could do. You know, she could end up in a cell or, or something even worse. Um, but what about Cersei? You know, she's adamant she wants to stay. Do you think now we're finally going to see some action with Cersei? You know, she's kind of been pushing for a kind of coalition of houses to get rid of the High Sparrow. But now with the trial of the Mother's Mercy certainly coming up sooner rather than later, does this mean that Cersei is going to act out finally against the Sparrows? Yeah, well, we see in the in the trailer for for the season and next week she does there's that great line where she says where she says i choose violence so obviously things are going to uh, get out of hand in some way with 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 the mountain and, and things going uh things going crazy so she you know she's committed to fighting this fight and i think she thinks that she's doing what tywin would do i think mm. that's what she thinks she's doing when in reality I almost wonder if Tywin's approach would be a little bit more like Elena's, that he would know the moment to walk away and deal with this from afar. You know, mm. uh, obviously he he would try and deal with this and would probably have been more successful at it um, in person. But, well, to be honest, he would have stopped it from happening in the first place. Yeah, no, he, he probably wouldn't have let it happen in the first place, yeah. But he, he would have dealt with it and tried to deal with it in person. But at, at a certain point, he would have to re- he would realize that he would have to fight this fight but via proxy. Uh, whereas, you know, I think Cersei, that's something she might have missed about uh, her father. Uh, and as a result, she thinks she's doing what he would do and instead is just creating more chaos, which... Um, for all of, of Tywin's uh, shortcomings, uh, he he was not he was not a fan of chaos. He was like a yeah. lawful evil, if you want to use that, uh, you know, the lawful good and chaotic evil and all that stuff. He was like a lawful evil. So, uh, you know that that's what I think that's what we're seeing Cersei try and do here. Mm. But you can also see why Cersei has to do this now, you know, the love for her son, but also the fact that she's really been put into a corner here. And I think Elena sums it up quite well. You know, she's got no support. Her brother's gone. Uh, family's abandoned her. She's surrounded by thousands of people that hate her. And now Elena's leaving. You know, it's really just her at the moment, kind of standing up to it, it seems on the surface. Now, we know Marjorie has obviously got her own play, but... Cersei's stuck on her own now, really, isn't she? Back against yeah. the wall. Yeah, I mean, she's she's got the mountain, so she's not completely alone. But yeah, she is, you know... In she's, terms of political allies, at least. Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, you know, you look... Again, you look at where she was earlier in the show, where she had all these allies. She had, uh, you know, she could do just about anything and get away with it. And now, 
look where she is. She's at the she's she's all of her allies have dwindled around her to where she's is just her and some freak of nature zombie. Uh, and 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 that's yeah, it. And that's how she even her son isn't really a her ally. Yeah, exactly. And and that's how she's gotta, you know, make her make or break this uh this game that she's playing. And it's looking more like she's uh you know she's not gonna win she's looks more like they she you know if you when you play the game of thrones you win or you die well it's not looking good for her winning uh and, and finally we'll wrap things up the same way the episode did uh in bravos where we see Arya uh trying to get back to westeros uh with the great scene where she uh, uh bribes the 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 ship captain there uh, and then, uh, in a moment of uh, poor judgment and uh, letting her guard down, she uh, you know pauses for a moment and is approached by a grandmother or an elderly woman. I guess no, I guess we don't know if this woman's a grandmother. Uh, and it turns out to be the waif using the the the, uh, uh, the this uh, this other woman's face, and she attacks her and, and stabs her several t- several times. And Arya manages to escape. But as she's walking through, uh, as she gets out, uh, gets out of the water, she jumps off the bridge. Uh, she's trying to, she's trying to look for somebody to help her, and, and nobody will. And can she even trust anybody else at this point? You know, now that she knows that the faceless men are after her, they could be literally everybody in that in that street could be a faceless man. So uh, things are not looking good for Arya, though mm-hmm. I can't I can't imagine them killing her at this point. No, but was it a bit shocking to see her get stabbed? Because oh yeah, there was a, there was a part of me that thought, oh, this this could be quite fatal here. It was very reminiscent of the way in which she was stabbed, um, in the way in which Rob was stabbed, or at least in terms of I, yeah, the was, location of the stabbing, if that makes sense. Yeah, I was almost thinking more of the way Rob's wife was stabbed with the like the repeated yeah, stabbings. Uh, really, sort of stood out to me. But yeah. It was it was a great scene. Like it was it was very well executed. Executed. Although I don't know about you, uh, as soon as I saw that 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 older woman enter into the frame, oh, yeah. I'm like, well, that's the waif. I mean, <laughs> there's it no. It was pretty obvious. Wasn't yeah, it? it was it was pretty obvious, but still uh, very well executed. And uh, we'll have to see. We'll have to see what happens to Arya. But uh, I, who, who do you think is going to save her? I don't know. I, I think she's going to have to save herself. I, I don't think she can. Uh, she's got no friends in, in, in Bravos. Well, there's only two candidates, in my opinion, who it could be. Who could it be? The actress is possibly one. That's, the good, play that's a good one, yeah. Because she did save her life. The other one is actually Jacques and Hagar. Oh, okay. Yeah, that, re- that's possible. The reason being is I don't think Jacken really wants Arya dead per se you know he said don't let her suffer but yeah well you know, that well maybe he's, put, he's well, put faith in this character well maybe and i'm not sure if he, this, this is necessarily the way he wants her to go out uh-huh. well maybe that's it right he's he told the waif don't let her suffer and then she stabbed her in this way that she would stop that she would suffer um so maybe you know uh, in some sort of uh twisted way he would you know to punish the waif he will save Arya. And then you know, only death can pay for life. Down goes the waif. Maybe, possibly. 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 That's that's just that's just, that, I didn't even consider that until literally it came out of my mouth. The other, actually, I, I I thought you might be going in a different direction. 
And let me just run this one by you. I, it, it might be crazy. What if her savior is Jorah Mormont? Because Danny sent him away. He's got to go look for this cure to Grayscale. And so he's probably going to try some of these um, exotic eastern cities that he's never been to. And I don't know. If, we haven't seen him in Bravos. So maybe he hasn't gone there and maybe he will he will start there and he will come across her and, and help her. And perhaps, you know, there's the, you know, the debate is, is Arya going to go join John or is she going to go join Danny? Perhaps he'll be the one to lead her to, to Daenerys and, and that's who she'll side with, at least at first. Yeah, it's a possibility. I never really thought about that, actually. I always felt that if Jorah win, he might actually based on this episode as well, go to Bear Island. Although having said that, now Lady Mormon has actually left Bear Island, I think that's, that's probably less likely. Um, you know, I thought that by going to Bear Island and meeting with Lady Mormon, it might be a gateway into getting involved with what's going on in the north. But I, I actually think your one has probably a bit more legs. I'd be, that would be an interesting twist. That would be. I, I don't know if I buy it. I, I'm, just, I'm just throwing it out there. Um, but somebody, somebody's got to save her. And, and next week's episode is called No One. So it, it, that seems like it's probably going to be an Arya, Arya, Arya heavy episode. Mm, possibly. Possibly. Although the preview may suggest otherwise, yeah, which well, is, I guess, what we're going to come on to yeah, very shortly. Yeah, I was going to say, speaking of the preview, let's, uh, let's have a look at next week's episode, the preview for Game of Thrones Season 6, Episode 8, No One. Order your man to step aside or there will be violence. I choose violence. Should I fail to persuade the Blackfish to surrender, and if you attack the castle, honor compels me to fight you. I love Cersei, and if I have to slaughter every Tully who ever lived to get back to her, that's what I'll do. Oh man, uh, that that's one hell of a preview. That is, uh, there's a lot going on in there. So we start, we start the preview in King's Landing with Cersei, uh, the Mountain, and and Kyburn uh, confronting uh, Lancel Lannister and the Sparrows. And as we hear Lancel say, "Order your man to step aside, or there will be violence." And Cersei says, "I choose violence." And then there are. Uh, later in the trailer, there are some shots of uh, of the of the mountain in action, uh, which is pretty exciting. Uh, how do you how do you think that's going to play out? Uh, I mean, not well for the sparrows, to be honest. And I think <laughs> it's probably going to be the first time that the sparrows are going to get a, a bit of a taste of their own medicine, if that makes sense. You know, because they themselves are a very violent group, to say the least. So, you know, I think the mountain enacting perhaps some justice from Cersei's perspective on, on the Sparrows is, you know, I feel like the mountain in a way is, is, is Cersei's arm, you know, it, it, it obeys her orders. Um, and even though it sort of has its own thoughts and, and feelings, but I think that these Sparrows are all going to go out. However, I'd be interested to find uh, your opinion out about Lancel Lannister. Is he going to make it past this episode? God, I hope not. 
<laughs> I'm ready to see that guy go. Same, same, same way. I feel towards him the same way I did uh, towards Ollie. I, I'm ready for that guy to. Uh, I'm ready for that guy to be done. I, I don't. Uh, I don't want to. I, I think this is a. This would be as good a place as any uh, to end his story. Although there is the question of, of you know, does Jamie know that him and Cersei. Uh, shared a bed on a couple of occasions and would that be enough to drive jamie to turn on cersei mm, it's a possibility however at the moment jamie is very much occupied yes and, um, and, as, he and says, so, as he says in this he's he's pretty committed to her in this uh in this preview yes absolutely and it seems like we're talking about king's landing uh, there being some b- uh, big stuff going on there, and there's actually another little scene I've, uh, in the trailer with Cersei kind of walking into the Great Hall mm-hmm. uh, with the mountain behind her in Kyburn, um, in, in, with a crowd of people in the, in, in the Great Hall. I wonder what's going to happen there. Uh, do you think it's going to be a bit of a confrontation between her and Tommen? Uh, definitely possible. If I remember correctly, in, in the trailer for the season, those there was a shot of her marching in to that scene uh juxtaposed with the shot of Tommen marching the other way so maybe we will get some sort of confrontation between the two um to finally settle this once and for all uh whose side is he on uh and then uh it, it seems that the bulk of the action this week will be taking place in uh in river run where uh where we, we get a lot of uh a lot of uh brienne we see her handing a letter to the blackfish so we can assume that's on behalf of uh, of Sansa, and then we get we get the reunion between Jamie and Brienne, which is which would be which will be nice to see. Those two spent a lot of time together in season three, uh, and a little bit in season four. So it'll be nice to see them uh, 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 reunite. Although it doesn't seem to be under the most ideal circumstances. You know, she does say honor will compel her to fight should uh, the Blackfish not surrender and uh, take his army north. Uh, so that 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 will be interesting for a showdown between Brienne of Tarth and Jaime Lannister. Well, Jaime's missing that hand, so it will be, uh, uh, you know, she she won the fight with the Hound. So uh, one-handed Jaime Lannister might be uh, a little bit of a, it'd still be a challenge, but not that tough a fight for her, I don't think. Yeah, it looks like, though, they're going to go to war, well, or try and at least siege the castle, or yeah. siege the castle, I should say. So... Be interested to see what happens there, um, and you know, based on this preview, perhaps, perhaps they do succeed in taking the castle, but maybe Blackfish won't be there yeah. for them to kill. Perhaps, perhaps, yeah. Uh, we do get a shot of the Hound swinging his axe at somebody, probably a member of the Brotherhood without banners. Um, we see Podrick being uh, apprehended. By what appears to be Braun. I think that's Braun who grabs him by the neck there. I think that's what's going on. A uh, quick shot of Tyrion in uh in somewhere. <laughs> I don't I don't there's not a lot of context to the Tyrion stuff in here. Uh, well no, I mean I, I see there's some sort of There's a chandelier. Chandelier that's being dropped down very slowly with fire at the center of it. Wonder whether that has anything to do with the new red priestess that they've been talking to. Maybe, 
maybe. Yeah, and Tyrion's, Tyrion's looking up there a little bit startled, Tyr- I would say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Tyrion's story, Tyrion and Varys and everything that's been going on in Marine this season. That's another one of those storylines that's kind of felt just a little bit behind everything else. Like it's kind of dragging along when everything else is running along, if you know what I mean. Oh, absolutely. I completely agree with you there. So be interesting to see how they're going to catch up and, and, and what they're going to do. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, and then uh, finally in the trailer, we do get a couple of quick glimpses of, of Bravos. We see, uh, Arya on the run, making a, a pretty uh, pretty big jump. We see the waif uh, chasing after her, and so yeah, it is a little bit odd that after that being the cl- well, that wasn't the cliffhanger, but that being a pretty uh, important moment at the end of the episode, and given the episode's title, it does seem a little bit odd that uh, that's not the focus of the trailer. Although, what is the focus seems pretty exciting. Yes. Um, but interestingly enough, what do we not see in the trailer? No Danny, oh, no yeah. North stuff. And there was no, no Danny this Sam week. Tarly. Yeah, that's interesting. There was no Danny this week either. Maybe um, unless they're just hiding it away. We don't know. Yeah, but obviously true. we're three we're three episodes to go. It's just a bit like if they're not in next episode, you know, they're gonna have to be fitting in a lot in the next two uh, episodes after that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it will be it will be interesting to see who gets their time this episode. Although having said that, mm-hmm. I mean probably just the last episode based on the, the title of episode nine, which I think as you said it will just be a, a story revolved around the north. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, maybe maybe the north will take this week off then if they're gonna get the focus next week. Sure. You never know. You never know. Very likely. Very yeah. likely. So I think with that we will wrap things up for another episode here on the Watchers of Westeros. Before we go, just time for final thoughts and score out of 10. So I'll throw it over to you, Kieran, for final thoughts and score out of 10 on The Broken Man. Final thoughts. Score out of 10. I'm going to give this episode a 7.5 out of 10. You know, I, I enjoyed it, and there was a lot of good stuff in this. It was a nice surprise to discover that the Hound was coming back in this episode as I said more about the way in which he came back um, and the fact that we had that kind of cold opening which was pretty awesome I also really enjoyed the storylines which revolved around King's Landing and John Sansa's attempt to kind of acquire the support of the Northern Houses so you know there were loads of really interesting storylines in this but there was also a lot more builds up when I want to see some more action. Uh, I mean, I think the River Run storyline was probably my highlight of, of, of the episode, but I wanna, I'm want i looking forward to seeing some more re- resolution about that. I'm looking forward to seeing, um, you know, where is the Iron Island story really going? I mean, yes, okay, they said they're going to meet up with the Dragon Queen, but when are they going to do it? And what's the response going to be? So I'm hoping for just a little bit more on that. Um, other than that I don't really have many qualms about this episode perhaps maybe just a bit about the the composition of the episode you know it seemed like when things were heating up say at uh, King's Landing or in the north then we would suddenly go back to the Hound Um, and the Hound had some interesting scenes but on initial viewing it seemed a little bit jarring 
But apart from that, I, I think it was a solid episode. And as we keep saying, it's progressing the storyline. And I think next week's episode is going to be something quite special. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, I think I will give this episode a 7.5. Uh, a, a, a solid episode, an enjoyable one. A uh, lot of uh, setting the table very, very nicely for what promises to be a, a very strong uh, trilogy of episodes to close things out. Uh, it was very nice to have the Hound back. That was very exciting. Um, I would say, you know, almost at the same level, uh, if not maybe a little bit above this, that level of, of excitement that I felt for the return of the Hound as I felt for the return of Jon Snow. Jon Snow was just so expected. We had spent uh, so much time uh, discussing the the possibility of, of him coming back that, you know, we didn't really have a, a chance to focus on the Hound. And so when, uh, when it was revealed, although we were expecting it, it wasn't quite the same, like, okay, finally we got there as it was with, uh, with Jon Snow. Uh, so yeah, overall a strong episode, uh, Cannot wait to see what happens next week in No One. Oh, man. Again, thank you, everybody, so much for listening. What a, what a, what a week. What an episode. And we hope you will join us again next week if you want to do so. The best way to do so is to uh, follow us on social media. Uh, search for The Watchers of Westeros on Facebook. Give us a like over there. Give us a follow on Twitter at Watcher Westeros. We really appreciate that. You can follow me personally at DominicJ25. You can follow Kieran at CDuggan6. Uh, and also uh, be sure to subscribe on iTunes. You can get all new episodes there. Older episodes you will have to go through uh, Facebook to get to our uh, our, uh, our, uh, our old R- to get th- to get to our RSS feed. That took w- I-, I added far too many syllables there. <laughs> um, uh, and uh, and Karen, I know you just uh, recently wrapped up your uh, your time at Expression FN, F- FM. What's FN? FM. FN twenty one eighty seven. You just recently wrapped up your time at Expression FM. Any final uh, any final thoughts you want to share with us on your time there? Yeah, why not? I. I... I'm going to say I will certainly miss Expression FM. It's been a fantastic time there. Expression FM is a radio station, the student radio station at the University of Exeter, and it's been a massive part of my life, really, from the last three years. It's it's certainly dominated uh, a lot of what I do in my pastime, which is uh, perhaps why recently now I've been getting far more involved with article writing on the old styles and the world, if people have noticed, and and on podcasting in general really is because now I do have that time which I didn't really have before but I'll never look back on it and feel like oh I wish I did this or I did that Uh, because Expression FM has just been a fantastic opportunity to kind of learn how to present, how to produce, how to edit um, and do all the things in terms of skills that I think will, will help me advance through life without being too too sentimental and soppy about it all but um yeah it's been a fantastic opportunity and i still implore people to listen if they can nonetheless if you want to do so uh our, you can do so on our website our website domain is www.expression.fm you can like the facebook page www.facebook.com slash expression fm or follow us on twitter our handle is at expression fm 
But yes, that brings me an end to Expression FM. But it's not over for you, Dominic, when it comes to Star Wars. That is for sure. So, oh, it's never uh, over when it comes it's to never Star over. Wars. <laughs> so I'll, le- I'll let you disclose to the listeners what's going on with the Star Wars world yeah. and the Star Wars Underworld. Star Wars Underworld, yeah. So you uh, make sure to uh, listen to the latest Star Wars Underworld podcast. That On the latest episode, you can actually hear Kieran. Uh, we discussed all of the uh, Rogue One uh, rumors and news and controversy quote-unquote and uh we'll be talking about that again this week and so the best way to do that is just search for the star wars underworld on itunes or head to over to starwarsunderworld.com that'll do it for us for this week thank you everybody so much for listening be sure to tune in next week so long for now it's a wrap that perfect timing <laughs> that is solid solid timing